Hello, everyone. Welcome to the North Church Podcast. We are so excited you're here. At North Church, our vision is to love God, love people, and follow Jesus. We'll be here every week with a new encouraging message to help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Rodney Fouts with this week's message. I object, Your Honor. I thought it'd be cool to say. Have you ever had those questions for God? I mean, like questions for Him, and He's silent. Have you ever had those times you're frustrated, anger, and you don't feel like justice is being done? And you go to God with it. And then when you finally hear an answer from God, it's not what you expected, it's not what you wanted, it has caught you off guard. I have. And what we're looking into this series, A Silent God, is the story of Habakkuk. And it's three simple chapters, but it's a powerful book that still applies for today. Now, it's good to understand who this guy is. The Bible doesn't give us much about him other than he is a prophet. That's really all that we have on him. We have three chapters and that he's a prophet. So it's important to understand the two mouthpieces of God throughout the Old Testament were often the priest and the prophet. And let's just give a context and a mental image of what those two individuals look like, okay? First off, you got the priest. The priest was the rule follower. The priest was the one that was, you know, working inside the box. He just kind of, and if he were to walk on stage today, he'd probably look something like this. He'd probably be wearing penny loafers, khakis, a white button-down t-shirt with a solid tie with a tie clip, and he drove to church in his Prius. That, that's, the, that's the priest. The prophet, he was cut out of a different cloth. He was not in the box. Like he was far out of it. And so if a prophet walked in here, here's what a prophet would probably look like. He'd be wearing his black leather pants, red ring tip boots. He'd be wearing a t-shirt. The t-shirt would be rolled up, sleeves. And he'd be tatted up on both sides. And he drove to church, not in a Prius, he rode to church on his Harley Davidson. Boom, 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 boom. Come on, that is the difference that I want you to get in your mind between a priest and a prophet. And most of the time when the prophet showed up in the Old Testament, okay, there's two books to the Bible in regards to separation. There's the Old Testament, New Testament, okay, and then you've got the before Christ, the Old Testament, and then Christ and on the, after that, the New Testament. Now what you have here is when a prophet would come on the scene, oftentimes they came just yelling at the people of God, at the children of Israel or maybe the nations around them. They would be yelling something like this, repent, or judgment's coming your way. Get right with God, or you can expect this. That was the message. But when Habakkuk came, he came not yelling at the children of Israel or the surrounding nations, he came yelling at God. And what you have here is his own personal journal, struggle that he had between him and God. Okay, we learned last week, basically, that first off, violence was everywhere. The Syrians had came and taken over the country. They were ruling everything. It would be, this in t context of today, it would be like ISIS coming and ruling America. And we're calling out, God, where are you? What's going on? This is what is happening in the book of Habakkuk. And violence is everywhere. And we learned last week, when that is the case, you see evil everywhere. You see sin everywhere. 
And so he calls out to God, but no answers from God. And then finally, when God speaks, it was shocking because God said, okay, I'm going to send you the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to wipe out the Assyrians. And then the Babylonians are going to take the best of the best from Israel off to Babylonian as captives. Now, that's like saying, okay, ISIS is running America. We pray out to God. God answers by saying, okay, I'm going to send North Korea. North Korea is going to show up. They're going to wipe out ISIS, but then they're going to rule, and they're going to take the best of the best, your kids, and they're going to haul them off to North Korea, and they're going to be raised there the rest of their life for generations to come. Do you see what is going on here? The struggle he has with God and his justice? And the first chapter ends with questions, no answers. But Habakkuk's name, his name means this. It means to embrace and to wrestle. And the first thing we must understand is that when you don't know, when you have questions, you got to embrace the struggle with God. Don't embrace the struggle on sharing on Facebook. Don't embrace the struggle with your friends and just talking. the No, no. Embrace the struggle with God. Get along with him and wrestle with him. That's where it all begins, okay? So that's where we are. That's where we left off last week. Now we're going into chapter number two. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And we're going to look at verse number one through verse number four initially. Then we're going to go through the entire book of this, I mean, this entire chapter. So look at verse number one. It says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. With your Bibles in your hands or your notes, did you hold your hands out like this? I want to pray over you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you do it? Okay. Eyes closed, no one looking around. Say, Lord Jesus, give me the ears to hear what you say. Give me the faith to believe what you say. And give me the courage to obey what you say. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said it big. Amen. Give somebody a high five next to you and then you can be seated. Okay. With a show of hands, how many of you have ever been through LASIK eye surgery? Kind of restoration surgery. Anybody raise your hand. Any? We have some hands up in the room right now. I'm sure other locations too. Uh, my wife, Shannon, and my daughter, Annabeth, have both had LASIK surgery. They went from not being able to function without their glasses to having a whole new world open up to them. Because vision is very important. Vision is essential. But spiritual vision is everything. Let me give you my definition of vision. Write this down. Vision is a preferred future of what could and should be. Vision is a preferred future of what could and should be. There is a 
verse in the book of Proverbs that says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision. So if you do not have vision from God, you cannot expect to live the life that God intended for you to live. Okay? Vision is utmost very important. But another question I have for you. Is it my preferred future or is it God's I'm wanting? Now I want you to stop and let that settle in and think about it for just a moment. Because all of us feel the tension of this often. So let's go to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is there in the garden before he goes to the cross and he's praying to God about this vision. Okay? He's wrestling. He says, God... Let this cup pass from me. Anybody know that? Heard that before? He says, please, I don't want this vision. I want my vision. Vision is not to go suffer, bleed, die, hang on a cross, naked before humanity. I, I, I don't want that method. But he said, but yet not my will, but your will be done. You know what he's saying? He's submitting to God's vision, to God's plan. He had a preferred future, but he chose God's preferred future over his preferred future. Look at this verse, Jeremiah chapter 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How many heard that before? There's probably a few people in this place right now that have this hanging somewhere in your house or your office. Raise your hand, raise your hand. You got people, people. Uh, do you realize that most of the time, this passage we use con completely out of context? Completely out of context. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, um, because when this was written, this was, we think of it as a positive thing, but it was not a positive thing for the one that was giving the word at the time. Because basically what this meant is that he was given a word that there is a future deliverance because Jeremiah is in Babylonian captivity. They've been in Babylon captivity for some time. And he has this word from God that they're going to go back to Jerusalem. But when he gives this, it's quantified around the fact that it's going to be 70 years from now. In other words, Jeremiah is not going to be able to experience the vision. He's going to be dead and gone. So is a lot of other people that are listening right there. They're going to be dead and gone. Matter of fact, maybe a few kids are going to get to be able to experience the vision. The life expectancy wasn't as long then. There's not very many people that's going to actually get to go back to Jerusalem. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Because sometimes God's vision for your life is hard to swallow. Mm. Let that sink in for just a moment. Question for you. Are you willing to embrace the vision God has for you, even if that vision is going to outlive you? Are you willing to go into this game to trust God and to have faith in him? Even if you do not get to see the fruit of it, it's going to be for another generation. Oftentimes, what we are doing is laying the A people of faith knows how to lay the foundation, even if they do not get to see the fruit of it in the immediate. They get to pass it on into the future. I want to give you some names to think about. See if you've heard these names before. Okay, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. All right. How about Daniel, the prophet? How about Isaiah, Micah, 
Nahum, Zephna, Habakkuk. How about Jeremiah? How about Zechariah? How about Ezekiel? How about, has anybody heard of those names? How about the three Hebrew children, which they actually weren't children, they were adults. We call them children, but they were adults. And, and their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Abednego. Now here's the thing. Here, here's, here's the thing. All of those names have this in common. They were all under either Assyrian rule that Habakkuk is right there or the fulfilling of the prophecy that he has given here that the Babylonians are going to come in and rule and haul them off captive. Every one of those names were either in Assyrian rule or they were hauled off to Babylon as a captive for years. Now, now, now that sounds discouraging unless you look through the lens of faith. And as you see it through God's purpose and his greater plan and vision of what he does, because every one of those guys are guys that we still look to today and we find inspiration and strength and courage because you know what? They were in a very difficult, a very hard time in life, but God still used them mightily where they were planted to do great things for God, to plant seeds for future generations. And that should speak hope to you, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are facing in your life, because God has his plan, his ways are higher than our ways. So, if you've got a vision from God and maybe it's hard to swallow, or maybe you've got this vision that is easy to swallow, but it's gonna be in the distance or future or it's not been actualized yet, I'm gonna give you three things you must do. First off, you must wait. Secondly, you must write. And thirdly, you must worship. So while you're waiting for this vision, first off, you gotta wait. You gotta wait. Uh, 29 years ago this Thursday, which was February the... 14th, Valentine's Day, 29 years ago, I began my hot pursuit for Shannon. Shannon Bruner. Mm, that cute little girl. That curly hair. Those glasses. She didn't wear glasses now. She has light Lasix, but she wore glasses at one time. And I, I like began the pursuit. Valentine's Day, I want to make my intentions known to her. We had worked together a little bit at a, at a bakery. We'd, our, our times would overlap some. We went to a Christian group on the campus uh, and we went to church together, but we, but I made my, I'm going to, I'm going to let her know. So Valentine's Day, I prepared this card. I put it at the front desk of the Kerr Drummond dormitory. She's on the eighth floor. And then I'm also stationed five, four other cards. So it was five in total around the campus so that she would get one, she would open it up and it would lead to the next note and it would lead to the next prize and the next gift and to the next gift. I got it all laid, laid out, man. I'm going to start this thing off Right. And she's going to fall in love with me, and it's just going to be happy ever after. Okay, so I do that, and I go to the front desk. I say, hey, tell them that this is waiting on her. It's very important. And they call up. They talk to her because I talk to the person afterwards. I'm waiting over there hiding in a corner. She doesn't show up. I'm talking 15, 20 minutes. Oh, she has to get ready. But like, no, she's not showing up. This is 730 in the evening, okay? And, and, and I go back up. say, hey, just tell them it's very important. Let's come down and get this. Call back up, talk to her again. Talk to the guy. They, yes, it spoke to Shannon. Okay, I go back and wait. She doesn't come down. You know what she does? She just goes to sleep, goes to bed. <laughs> but instead, she sends, she goes to sleep, but she sends her roommate down to get it. And I'm like, I'm looking in the corner, like, her, it's a roommate. And then a roommate takes it, and then guess what? Her roommate goes around the campus finding all the other <laughs> little gifts and secrets. I'm like, ah, oh, great, great. And guess what? 
the waiting begun. The waiting began to, for her to get a clue and to fall in love with me. And I had to wait. You know, throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there's a common theme, waiting on God. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, is to wait on God. And sometimes we wait the wrong way. Have you ever seen kids? They're like, you get kids, because it's easy to get onto kids, isn't it? It's easy to point to them, like, they're kids, they don't get it, because we adults get it. I understand, like, when I'm speaking, I mean, it's much easier to speak to kids. Kids might not act like they're you, but you ask them afterwards, they seem to pay more attention, they get more than adults. Adults learn to look at you, but don't remember a word you're saying, because they're thinking of everything else they got to do after they leave this place. All of you saying, yep, I know what you're talking about, because I'm not listening to you, Pastor, right now. You better be listening to me, okay? So, so but, but you tell a kid, like, hey, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. You've got to wait. And oftentimes they don't obey you. Like, they don't stay in the corner there. They don't do what they're supposed to do. They get impatient. They start complaining. When's it coming? When's they keep begging. As followers of Christ, one of the things we need to learn to do is wait on God the right way. That means waiting obediently. Write that down. Obediently. Look at verse number one again of Habakkuk chapter two. It says this. It says, I will climb up to my watchtower and guard, stand at my guard post. I will stand at my guard post where I've been assigned, where God wants me. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Did you get that? Some of us struggle because we want the next word from God. We want the next assignment from God. You know what God's saying? Just do the first thing that I have given you. Be faithful with what I told you first and keep doing it. If you're waiting for a word from God, stop just all the time. Just do what God has clearly told you to do now and keep doing that thing and be faithful with it until he reveals the next step for you. Next is patiently. That's how we should wait on God, patiently. Look at verse number three. Verse three says, this is the vision for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, say it with me, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Wait patiently, wait patiently. You know how patient people wait? You know what I think characterizes them? They're humble and they're hopeful. Humble and hopeful are patient people. And the third way to wait is joyfully. Write that down, joyfully. Joyfully, we must wait. Our second child, Phaedra, we were waiting for her to be born. In fact, we rushed to the hospital. Shannon typically came pretty quick, would come pretty quick with the children, and we're waiting for the doctor to show up. The doctor never showed up, never showed up. Let me say it again. He never showed up, okay, uh, at least until after the baby was born. That means I had to deliver the baby. I had to deliver. Can you believe that? Well, if you don't believe that, the truth matters, I didn't actually deliver the baby. But what I did do is I took charge of the entire room and began to tell the nurses and everybody what they do and how they do all this stuff and how to deliver a baby. And I took charge. You don't believe that? Well, maybe the third one you'll believe. After they picked me up from the ground and revived me, I was able to celebrate the birth of our second child. Sometimes there's a lot of angst, struggle in the wait, but we gotta learn to be joyful in the wait. Remember Jesus 
saying, Father, let this cup pass from me, sweating great drops of blood. He does not. But then the Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the what? Cross. He endured the cross. How do we do that? There's a place in your relationship with God and with Christ that you can get to the point that even though it's not the vision you want, the preferred future you want, but you can still embrace the vision God has for you and the preferred future he has for you. And then when you embrace that, you learn to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because Jesus knew that he won no matter what. And that he knew the outcome was that God was going to be glorified and that he was going to win. You may say, Pastor, you don't understand my situation. I was just diagnosed with cancer. And the doctor says it's stage four. And I might only have just a few months to live. But let me tell you something like that. You've got to look through the lens of faith. I grieve with you. I hurt with you. Yes, you will be in pain. Yes, you will hurt. But when you embrace the vision that God has for you, death does not win. Sting of death has no victory in your life because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And when we look through the lens of faith, we can walk in joy knowing we're children of God and that it's not about the here and now, it's about the then and there. It's not about just this earth, but it's about eternity that we get to look forward to. Wait, wait joyfully. Look at Isaiah chapter 4, 40. It says, but those who sit with me wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not what? Did you get that? Come on. Isaiah, when and where was that written? He's a contemporary of Habakkuk, just written a few years before under Assyrian rule. Hello. And under Assyrian rule, he's given this word out. Those who learn to wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their, they shall mount up on. Think about those mental pictures that he's given us, those images of power and strength. Nothing greater than an eagle flying through the air. The greatest of birds. You shall walk, or in other translations I like better, run and not grow weary or faint. Look at Acts chapter one and verse number eight. Notice what Jesus says. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, say it with me, wait. What is going on here? Jesus has died before that. They were, had these great hopes in him being the Messiah. Then they gave up all the hopes. They're running for their life. They're hiding behind closed doors, locked doors. Then all of a sudden, three days later, he rises from the dead. Their hopes are lifted again. They're like, oh, let's go take this thing. The kingdom now and then 40 days later, he's like, I'm going to go back to heaven now. I'm going to sin, but I want you to wait. Wait. Waiting for what? Waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. Waiting for strength. Mount up with wings like eagles. Run and not grow weary. I'm talking about strength that comes from God above. Bring this in. Write this down. Wait equals hope. which results in power. To learning to wait on God the right way equals hope. And the Bible says hope does not disappoint. You know what hope brings? Power. Power. What is it you're facing? What is it you don't have answers to? What is the vision that's hard to swallow? Learn to wait the right way on God. 
you will find hope, and out of hope, you will get power to handle whatever comes your way. Mm. Second word, right. One of my pet peeves is sitting in a room and I'm leading a bunch of people, especially employees or somebody, like you give something and you know that that person should be writing that down and they don't write it down. And you say, okay, let's see. And then later on you say, hey, did you get that done? Like, what, what, what? And I don't like that, okay? I don't like that. I think sometimes when we are in the funk, when we are in the, the darkness, when we are don't, the vision's not happening, we get so caught up on what our preferred feature is and what that we don't hear what our leader, our boss, our, our God is saying to us. And he's given us little things that we could be writing down that's beginning to prepare us for the day that it will come to pass. Are you, is anyone tracking me? And we miss out, we miss out, we miss out. Look at verse number two, it says, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets. I believe he's saying, hey, back, wake up and write this down. So that a runner can carry the correct message to others. And I love that because you know what it is, it speaks to me. What God gives to you is meant to impact others. It's not just for you. This Bible that we look into each and every week some people say it's old, it's antiquated. That is not the case. That Bible's eternal, not old. And there's a big difference because old means that it's out of, you know, applicability. Is that a word? I just made one up right there, right there. Boom, write that one down too. It's not practical. It's not, that is far from the case with God's word. God's word is not old, it's eternal. That means it's the same yesterday, it's the same today, and it's gonna be the same tomorrow. And this was written over 2,500 years ago and it still applies to your life today. That's the word of God. That's God speaking. When man speaks, it gets old. It gets outdated. When God speaks, it lasts forever. Ooh, I wanna preach. Uh. You know, one of the things I think we look to God's word, what we want oftentimes is we want to look to it and say, I want to find God loves me. God wants to prosper me. God wants to bless me. And there's nothing wrong with that. And God does all those things. He does. But we get so caught up in those words that we miss out on some other things that he is trying to speak to us. Like, stop it. Like, just stop it. I, I was thinking about this this week with when we were doing... at. Um, uh, one of the high schools passing out donuts. I was with a, a dad from Deer Creek and he had a small son and we were talking about Habakkuk and the, you know, how oftentimes the prophets of the Old Testament are misinterpreted as being these angry men, these mouthpieces of God and given this reflection of who God is as being this angry guy. I said, it'd be kind of like you having your son go outside this donut shop and run out to the road, which is only about 50 feet away and heading into traffic. And you're just, you didn't realize it. You all of a sudden see your son about to get to the road. What are you gonna do? Any good dad is gonna fling open that door and start running, but at the same time, scream at the top of his lungs, stop it! And if you are a bystander and you just see this guy stepping out of the, and just look at him and hear what he says, you're gonna think, who's that angry man and what he, what's his deal? And sometimes we look at God that way and we say, what is this, what's the deal with this God who's yelling us, stop it? But if you have a different perspective and you were in the donut shop and knew his child and you saw all that happened, Come on, you're thinking that's the most gracious thing he could possibly do. 
And you know that if that dad can get to the road and throw his body in front of that car to save his own son's life, he would do it. And that's your God who yells, stop it. And so much he did give his life for you. You know, another thing that God sometimes yells is you can make it. You can make it. You know, that sounds positive, except when you know somebody has the power to get you out of it so that you don't have to go through it. Then you start complaining. Does that make sense? I've had people in my life, whether it be coaches, whether it be spiritual mentors or my parents, I'm going through something and I know they can rescue me and get me out of this mess, but they let me struggle. My dad one time threw me in the deep end and he was just real close by. He could reach out there and grab me, but I'm like, I didn't know how to swim yet. He was teaching me how to swim, some way to teach your son how to swim. But my dad was there. He wasn't letting anything happen to me. Because what I've learned about those who could have rescued me that didn't, they know what I didn't know. That it's in the struggle that I get stronger. And what God knows that you don't know is that it's in the struggle that you get stronger. It's in the pain that you find purpose. Which brings me to the last word, is worship. Worship. Oh, what you trust in is what you are worshiping. Just put this down. To trust in yourself is called woe-ship. It's living by feelings. That word woe, that word woe, is found five times here in this passage. Matter of fact, the NLT that I read from is actually what sorrow awaits. But if you go back to a lot of other um, translations, the word is woe. But what I'm gonna read is what sorrow awaits. Because when you live by your flesh and your feelings, here's what happens. One, you're greedy. And he says, woe to the greedy. Look at this. Woe to the greedy. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples, but soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves. Stop there for just a moment. It is so easy for us to point our finger at other people and call them greedy. But there's a lurking sense of greed in every single one of us that if not checked, can lead us down the wrong path. It's easy to point at the government. It's easy to point at elected officials. It's easy to point at the famous. It's easy to point at other people. The truth of the matter is you can't do anything about them and you're not gonna stand before them as their judge or you're not gonna give, you know who you're gonna stand before? You're gonna stand before God and you're gonna have to give an account for yourself. So the best thing the church and we can do is stop pointing our fingers at other people and start going back inside and say, God, help me. Next is this, woe to the dishonest. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, put in your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. You get that? Woe to the dishonest. The next, woe to the corrupt. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? 
Woe, woe to you. Woe to the shameless. Get this, what sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so you can gloat over them and their shameful nakedness. There's a trend here. Stop and think about this. If you break it down, what happens? Greediness leads to dishonesty because you're going to get it by whatever means you can, which leads to corruption and murder and whatever extent you have to go, which leads to shamelessness, where now there's no shame in your sin. You do what you want, live like you want, which leads to the last one. Woe to the lifeless. Woe to the lifeless. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. Come on, we have our own gods in America. So many of them that we don't look at as gods, but what you put your trust in is what you're worshiping and has become your God. What sorrow awaits you, he says. You see, because worship is a lifestyle. And I want you to stop and think about your lifestyle. What does that look like? What does it reflect? What does it mean? And write this final thing down here. To trust in Jesus is called worship. Worship. This is living by faith. I talked about woe-ship, W-O-E. Now I'm talking about worship. And what it really is and looks like. Look at verse number four again. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. And their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. That verse is one of the foundational verses throughout the Bible. Martin Luther, like many, many years ago, whenever he wrote the 95 Thesis and nailed them up on the door of the Catholic Church, his foundational statement is based on this, which would carry over into the book of Romans, is that the just shall live by faith. Let me put it in another term that you'd understand. The righteous will live by faith. Okay, yes, last week we talked about how that chapter one ended with questions. Questions that there were no answers to. Just left with questions. In chapter two, he gives us the answer. And it's found in the very last verse of chapter number 20, of chapter number two, verse number 20. It says this, but the Lord, but the Lord. Now stop there for just a moment because those three words are the answer that he has for you when you're struggling. But the Lord. What does that mean to me and you? I've just got a word that I'm losing my job. But the Lord. I'm going through a difficult time in my marriage. But the Lord. But pastor, you know what my parents, they're fighting all the time. It looks like they get divorced. And I, I, what do I do? But the Lord. I don't know which direction I should go. I don't know what I should do, but the Lord. The doctor said this about me, but the Lord. I just was fired, but the Lord. I just went bankrupt, but the Lord. I just went through a divorce, but the Lord. But the Lord. That's the hope. And that's where he says, put your faith in the Lord. That is everything. And he doesn't stop there. 
I like this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. What does that mean to me and you? You know what it speaks to? It speaks that he hasn't changed his position. He hasn't changed his power. His structure hasn't changed. While your life may be shaken, while your life might be crumbling, while your life might be going crazy and out of whack, he still knows what he's doing and he has everything in order and nothing is out of control. While your life is being shaken, the kingdom of God is not shaken. It's as solid, it's as firm as it's ever been. So what do we do? Let all the earth be silent before him. Okay, this is, this is, we start off the series, the silent God. We talked about chapter one, God is silent. Now he's saying, let us be silent before him. So oftentimes when it feels like our vision's not happening the way we want and things aren't happening, we are just, now he says, stop, wait, right, and worship. Father, I pray right now by the power of your spirit. Do your thing. Eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're in the cross as your Lord and Savior, now's the time. The Bible says you confess your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. This is not just giving him part of you. It's about giving God all of your life and saying, God, I surrender to you. When the Spirit comes knocking your door, open up. Let him come in. It's in Jesus' name it's going to happen. And when you give your heart to Christ, when you choose to follow him, the first thing you do is be baptized in water. You can let us know by marking your communication card that you want to be baptized, telling one of our staff members, one of our leaders, because that's what God has asked you to do is to choose to follow him. And the first act of doing that is to be baptized in water. No matter where you are in your journey, no matter if you have been, never have known God or you've been far away from him for a long time, you're coming back to him. With eyes still closed, no one looking around, just some of you right now are at a very low point. The vision is not being actualized. It's being delayed. You don't know when and how. Habakkuk says, but the Lord, in other words, trust in him. Place your faith in him. True worship is to live by faith, not by your feelings. And so when we give the chance to respond a little bit, you come, come for prayer, come, no matter where you're at, and just let's agree together with someone, stand on God's word, and let's see God do his thing. Father, I pray now, May we learn what it means to trust fully in you and to obey you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the North Church Podcast. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered by the Word of God. For more information about North Church, check out our website at north.church. There you can view more messages and join us for experiences live online. You can also subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week and remember to love God, love people, and follow Jesus.